0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. We can't survive in isolation. John Donne said, no man is an island. We need community. We need connection to other beings. But it seems that community isn't what it used to be. It's changing. So what can we do about it? Let's look at some communities. In 2017, journalist and screenwriter Drew Phillips gave a TED Talk, "My $500 House in Detroit and the Neighbors Who Helped Me Build It." He talked about living in a microcommunity inside Pole Town, a neighborhood in Detroit. In 2009, while he was working on his house before he moved in, Drew talked about a wild and virtuous farmer named Paul Wirtz. Paul was a teacher in the Detroit Public School for pregnant and parenting mothers, and his idea was to teach the young women to raise their children by first raising plants and animals. Paul brought much of this innovation to his block in Poletown, which he'd stewarded for more than 30 years, purchasing houses when they were abandoned Convincing his friends and neighbors to move in and stay and helping those who wanted to buy their own and fix them up. In a neighborhood where many blocks now hold only one or two houses, all the homes in Paul's blocks stand. It's an incredible testament to the power of community, to staying in one place and to taking ownership of one's surroundings, of simply doing it yourself. It's the kind of place where black doctors live next to white hipsters, next to immigrant mothers from Hungary, or talented writers from the jungles of Belize, showing that diversity can flourish when it's encouraged. Each year, neighbors assemble to bale hay for the farm animals on the block, teaching me how much a small group of people can get done when they work together, and the magnetism of fanatical yet practical ideas. Drew goes on to say, radical neighborliness is in every house behind Paul's block burning down, and instead of letting it fill up with trash and despair, Paul and the surrounding community created a giant circular garden ringed with dozens of fruit trees, beehives, and garden plots for anyone that wants one, helping me to see that our challenges can often be assets. He said, It's where residents are experimenting with renewable energy and urban farming and offering their skills and discoveries to others, illustrating we don't necessarily have to beg the government to provide solutions. It's where, for months, one of my neighbors left her front door unlocked in one of the most violent and dangerous cities in America so I could have a shower whenever I needed to go to work, and I didn't have one. It was when it came down time. Sorry, it was when it came time to raise the beam on my own house that holds the structure aloft, a beam that I cut out of an abandoned recycling factory down the street when not a single wall was left standing, that a dozen residents of Poletown showed up to help lift it, Amish style. I found something I didn't know I was looking for, what a lot of millennials and people who are moving back to cities are looking for. Radical neighborliness is just another word for true community, the kind bound by memory and history, mutual trust and familiarity built over years, and irreplaceable. So I experienced two other communities intersecting this summer. The Boston Gay Men's Chorus is another kind of community. Its mission is to create mission, uh, musical experiences to inspire change, build community, and celebrate difference. Its values and functions include the inward nurturing and support of its 300 plus members as a community, as well as the outward nurturing and support of other communities. In full disclosure, I am a member of the Boston Gay Men's Chorus. The BGMC toured South Africa for two weeks this June. We partnered with local nonprofit organizations to help raise money and awareness about issues such as HIV AIDS, LGBTQ youth, and LGBTQ refugees and asylum seekers. There were 120 of us on the tour. We experienced community in South Africa. It was a very intense and meaningful experience. Here are a few excerpts. We went to the Cliptown neighborhood of the Soweto Township of Johannesburg. There, housing is almost entirely shacks and the roads and paths are dirt. Many of the people have almost nothing. No running water, stolen electricity, hit or miss food. The area lacks schools and health clinics. Instead of bathrooms, there are rows of porta-potties with 40 people assigned to each one. They are cleaned every few days. The chemicals are so toxic that little children can't use them, so they use chamber pots, which their parents and older brothers and sisters empty for them. We visited the Cliptown Youth Program Enclave. The program was founded in 2007 by a small group of inspired and passionate young people from the neighborhood who were dedicated to making a difference in their community. Their dream was to help the neighborhood youth lift themselves out of poverty through education. We sang, they sang, a stepping troupe performed, the Mzansi Gay Choir sang, the littlest children sang. We heard the personal stories of the Mzansi Gay Choir and we shared some of ours. That evening the BGMC and the Manzanzi Gay Choir held a concert in the Soweto Theater to benefit the youth town uh, the ClipTown Youth Program's LGTP support initiative. Later in the tour, in the Langa township of Cape Town, we met and heard the stories of the LGBT refugees who faced difficulties getting into South Africa. We heard of the difficulties of delivering health services to those, of, uh, living, and risk, sorry, to those living and at risk of dying with HIV. We heard that in spite of the constitution and laws, All these difficulties were happening, and we heard from the local organizations who are working to change it. Under the South African Constitution, LGBTQ people who come into South Africa from anywhere in Africa and apply for asylum based on sexual orientation discrimination should be automatically approved as a protected refugee. In practice, though, for every 100 people who apply for asylum based on their status, only forget it. We heard from PASSUP, People Against Suffering, Oppression, and Poverty, a grassroots nonprofit that advocates for the rights of asylum seekers, refugees, and immigrants in South Africa. PASSUP has an LGBTQ refugee outreach program. Victor Chikalogwe left his home in the country of Malawi for South Africa in 2011 after his parents disowned him. Today, he is the gender rights and LGBTQ advocacy coordinator for Up. So again, the BGMC gave a free concert open to the public. The chorus and the U.S. and South African branches of our tour company, ACFEA, just donated funds outright to PASO instead of raising the money for that concert um, from ticket sales. All told, the BGMC tour donated $38,000 to organizations benefiting LGBTQ youth, refugees, and people living with HIV AIDS, and yet here is the most remarkable thing. Matthew Honeycutt from the BGMC said, My heart was filled to the brim each and every day, seeing the spirit of the people of South Africa. The stories we heard from those seeking refuge in a country with one of the most progressive constitutions in the world were enough to break us to pieces. Yet here, these people were living to the best of their abilities and showing kindness to everyone they met along the way. Another chorus member, Tyler Brewer, said, The starkest difference I noticed between the US and South Africa is a sad one. No matter how hard a family or person has fought to overcome poverty, violence, hunger, rampant abuse of their minds, bodies, and souls, every single person I met had one thing on their mind. How do I help more people out of this? Everyone we met from these struggling communities in South Africa showed up with a smile Often a song with goodwill and clean clothes, with grace and hope. And these two communities gave to each other on another level. Honeycutt said, Our message of love and acceptance, along with the emotional support of my brothers, helped me complete the tour despite the sudden death of my father. Before rehearsal in Johannesburg, it was a little too much to walk in, so I sat outside and listened. I was literally brought to my feet in that moment by the strength of our voices. The night he passed, and every other night, the performance halls we visited there were filled with joy. The audience clapped and sang along, cried and cheered and were brought to their feet from the same energy that got me back up again. In her article, What Does Community Mean in the Atlantic, Megan Garber made a number of observations about changes that are happening to community in the United States. She noted that for much of the 20th century, community meant one's literal place in the world, one's school, one's neighborhood, one's town. And now in the 21st century, community has changed to mean one's identity, not merely something that one fits into, something that one chooses for oneself through a process of active self-discovery. In other words, in my words, communities are becoming much less physical and much more virtual. Garber's article also drew from the book, Bowling Alone, the Collapse and Revival of American Community, by Robert Putnam, who notes that financial capital, the wherewithal for mass marketing, has steadily replaced social capital, that is, grassroots citizen networks, as the coin of the realm. Or in other words, we're becoming more material focused and less social focused. Garber also drew from Bill Bishop, who wrote a book, The Big Sort, why the clustering of like-minded America is tearing us apart. Bishop said, as people choose the group that makes them feel the most comfortable, the nation grows more politically segregated and the benefit that ought to come from having a variety of opinions is lost in the righteousness that is the special entitlement of homogenous groups. He also noted that these groups squelched dissent, grow more extreme in their thinking and ignore evidence in their positions that their positions are wrong. As a result, we now live in a giant feedback loop, hearing our own thoughts about what's right and wrong bounce back to us. In other words, our communities are becoming more insular. Garber went on, Facebook and Tumblr and Twitter and Snapchat and their many fellow uh, services emphasize identity through a combination of consumption and performance. On Facebook for example, one's favorite music and one's favorite news sites and the memes and jokes one shares suggest in the aggregate not just what they like but who they are. For another thing, social media services as information sharing platforms Leave out the gatekeeping function that traditional media once played. Friends eclipse faceless organizations. Familiarity eclipse expertise. The digital world has both allowed for and ratified a culture of extreme individualism. As far as information goes, as Bishop put it, I get to decide what's true or not. In my words, we are becoming more and more individually isolated. So what can we draw from the communities of Town, from the BGMC, from South Africa, that would allow us to respond to the changes that are happening to the communities that Garber presents? We can learn from Town. Drew Phillip advised, finding a role to play in our communities, living your life as a reflection of the world that you want to live in, trusting those who know the problems best, the people who live them with solutions, If we can do it in Detroit, you can do it wherever you're from, too. We can follow the example of the materially poor yet incredibly heart-rich people of South Africa who every day demonstrate the grace to live helping lift each other up. Who accept that there's a difference between law and culture and try to do something about it. Like the small group of young people who created the Cliptown Youth Program and Victor Chikologwe, who became the gender rights and LGBTQ advocacy coordinator for PassUp. In her book, The Gift of Imperfection, Let Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embrace Who You Are, Brene Brown defined connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Like the BGMC, we can go out and connect. We can travel more. We can experience the wider world and other communities in person out of our insular individuality and communities. We can have face-to-face and in-person time with each other. We can see, listen, and validate. We can discover for ourselves and not take someone else's word for it. We can resist the addiction of social media, of technology, of screen time, to break from its reinforcement of our isolation. We can use social media as a means, not an end, for creating connection. We can have, as Nelson Mandela said, a fundamental concern for others in our individual and community lives, which would go a long way in making the world a better place we so passionately dreamed of. We can, we can to praise John Fitzgerald Kennedy's inaugural address, ask not what your community can do for you, but what you can do for your community. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, Please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.